What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. So today, I only have Ibrahim with me to talk about the conference finals because, unfortunately, Tamim is still uh, recovering from that Rockets loss. Tough loss, man. Tough loss. But no, I'm, I'm just kidding. He has finals, so um, he won't be joining us. But he does have his picks for this round. But uh, anyways, what I wanted to start with, uh, what I wanted to start with Ibrahim, uh, which series stood out to you, man? I mean, we can just start with the Rockets and Warriors series because that was a pretty big one. Yeah, I mean that was that was a pretty fantastic series. I think uh, for me at least, it it lived up to the hype. Although I did wish that it went to Game Seven. Every single game was close and competitive. I thought the Rockets played the Warriors about as good as they could have, and uh, you know just finished off with. Um, a vintage Warriors performance, vintage second half by Steph Curry. So that was that was a great series, and I think it was the best series, one of the best series of uh, the entire second round. Yeah, man, um, I was I was pretty bummed out that uh, the refs kind of had like a lot of controversial parts in this series, though. Uh, did you feel the same way? I felt like they did in game one. I thought game one was definitely controversial, and and it kind of got everyone off on the wrong foot. And I think because of that, the refs were on people's minds the rest of the series. But I honestly thought games two through six, the refs did a pretty good job of uh, refing both sides consistently. I didn't see too many outrageous calls. I didn't see anything controversial like there was in game one. Um, And, you know, I, I thought the rest of the time they did a really good job. But because of the poor job they did in game one, it was just on people's minds. So I thought, you know, it was easier to get outraged if you're already thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think also game five uh, in Oakland, Clay stepped out like the very end and that would have given the Rockets right. the ball down three. So yeah, that was like another one that could have Yeah, that's definitely a missed call there. And, you know, the ref was right in front of him, so I don't know how he missed that. But that being said, in real time, I'm sure it's, it's uh, a little bit more difficult of an angle for the ref. Um, and I would think that he he should be looking at his feet, but maybe he was looking at whether the two Rockets players were about to foul him or or whatever else. Um, but yeah, that was that was a missed call too. I, I forgot about that. No, totally, man. I, I just think honestly, no more talking about the refs. I just wanted to get it over with because you know it is like a discussion point. But um, you know, schematically, though, I thought it was interesting the way that Houston played the Warriors in Game Six. They were trapping Curry a lot and. I think we, we talked about this before, um, you know, off, offline, off the podcast, but uh, I personally didn't think it was a good idea, man. I think because Curry has shown that, yes, he's one of the more dangerous players in the league, but I don't think he can consistently exploit switches that you have to trap him and there's no other way to play him, you know? I think it just made it too easy for other players, like Draymond and then, like, the other guys like Iggy and Looney to just, like, get the ball in really good situations and also causes a lot of offensive rebounds for the Warriors which is something else the Rockets struggled with the entire series. What did you think about that? Yeah, I think I think your point about the offensive rebounds is is really good because that was, I thought, the biggest factor of the game, every single game, was who was winning the rebounding battle, ended up probably winning the game. I don't know exactly, but... No, I think that's literally um, what happened. Lund- I mean, whenever the, yeah. the Rockets won the rebounding battle in Houston and the Warriors won it the first two games, and then game three and four was all Warriors, so... Yeah, and, and I thought Kevon Looney really stepped up, Draymond Green really stepped up. And, and so what you said about, you know, getting those easy shots by, um, you know, for Draymond Green or Kevon Looney or whatever, that's definitely a tough break to deal with if you're the Rockets. But with that being said, I think I would still rather have uh, Kevon Looney beat me or Sean Livingston beat me or... Andre Iguodala hit a three rather than Steph Curry go off. And he did still have a good second half. Um, And, you know, some of those numbers are padded by his free throws. But really, I thought the Warriors role players just stepped up big time. And um, it to me, it looked like the trap was actually working fairly well for them. And if Kevon Looney is going to score 14 points and Andre Iguodala is going to go five or eight from three then you know what so be it that's kind of just what you have to live with i think you'd rather live with those shots rather than open steph curry threes or a situation where you have steph curry switched onto nene or capella and then either of those two get roasted which i mean capella was not very good this entire series so yeah i mean um, speaking of capella man like looney completely outplayed him the whole series like i you know i actually i was a little skeptical when they gave him that big contract 
I was like, oh, is he really worth that price? But, you know, you kind of see, like, you see the potential in Capella, like, during the regular season. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. The way that Looney just kind of steps in and outplays him, it kind of makes me, like, question the viability of, of paying a center so much money that has, like, you know, that isn't really, like, an alpha kind of player, like an Embiid or, like, like a Jokic, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think they kind of they hope that he would have developed from where he was last season. And this season he didn't really take a step forward at all. And, you know, I don't know if he took a step back, but the fact that you're paying the guy, I don't know how 20 million or whatever it is, and he's not improving and he's this early in his career is a pretty big red flag. And yeah, I mean, he got totally outplayed. It got to the point where I was just genuinely surprised that they were even putting him out there. I, I don't know why he was even on the floor at all. A lot of the time, because he just wasn't playing good defense. He wasn't getting rebounds. He was fumbling the ball on offense and, and missing a lot of wide open opportunities. And I thought it really just kind of ruined the Rockets rhythm a lot of the time down the stretch, late in the game, um, whenever he was in there. So it, it's, it sucks for the Rockets that as good of a team as they had last year and as good as their, their guys played, they, they kind of, uh, maybe have screwed themselves with those contracts to Capella and Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that the Chris Paul contract is something that you can't really say they they messed up on because, like, you need that second star, right? And, and getting sure. Chris Paul the contract at the time wasn't bad because he followed it up with, you know, one of the best seasons of his career being the second fiddle to James Harden. But, yeah, now you kind of look at it and you say, damn, their championship window is closing. And that contract with Capella really doesn't help at all. That's a good point. Sure. That's what I agree. Yeah, and, that and, really shortens yeah. our lifespan. Yeah, the Chris Paul one is definitely, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, so you can't really criticize it at the time. But just, yeah, looking back on it now, I think it, it's a little unfortunate for them how how those two contracts turned out. Exactly. I mean, looking looking at it in the future, though, you know, like obviously this is a great win for the Warriors, and we'll, we'll get into the whole Kevin Durant injury and what it means for the rest of their playoff chances. But, I mean, now you think about it in the future of the Western Conference, right? It's really the Warriors and Rockets are clearly the two best teams. Um, yeah. Now the Warriors are going let, to, let's just assume they lose Kevin Durant, which is, uh, you know, more or less a certainty at this point. Yeah, pretty likely. So so just really early, what are your top three teams in the West then? Um, my top three teams in the West, obviously those two teams, I still think the Rockets are there. I would still put the Warriors there. Yeah, um, I agree with those they, two, yeah. If they can, if they can replace guys like Livingston and Iguodala, whoever else, and get a little bit deeper, they still have the core three, presumably. Um, and I think the third team is a toss-up between the Nuggets and the Blazers. Um, the Nuggets are really young. Jokic played lights out the entire playoffs. This is their first time they were in the playoffs, and they went to two game sevens. And you know they made some mistakes uh, yesterday, but you know they very easily could have been in the Western Conference Finals. Um, and then the Blazers are in the Western Conference Finals. They're a really good team. They've shown that they can have success in the playoffs uh, with Dame and CJ. So I would say either of those two teams, I would put at my top three. But I'm leaning toward the Nuggets because of their youth and because of Jokic specifically. Yeah, and, and I'm going to go on and give a little bit of a hot take, I guess. But I think like the third seed is really up for grabs. If you look at all the teams in the West, right? Like, because you're t mentioning teams like the Trailblazers and Nuggets, which, yes, they're really good teams, but at the same time, like, those aren't teams that you say, like, okay, those are, that's clearly the third best team. Like, that team can't be beat by anyone else. You know what I mean? Sure. So one team yeah. I really want to mention, um, and they've been in the news for the wrong reasons, but the Lakers, dude. Like, why can't the Lakers be the third best team in the Western Conference if they make the right moves around <laughs> LeBron? Right? Yeah, and, and I think you're totally right. There's no, and honestly, there's no reason they shouldn't be. But I think just the reality of the situation, and I'm saying this as a Laker fan, the reality of the situation is that um, there is no, there's, there's no indication that they will make the right moves, right? Like, what is Kurt Rambis and Rob Polinka going to do uh, to make the right moves to really get this team to compete in the West? And maybe they stumble into another superstar, maybe Kawhi or Kyrie or whoever comes along. But... I don't know. The last month or so has really just killed all my confidence in the front office and ownership doing their job in making this a contender. I think Frank Vogel will be okay. I think LeBron and the Lakers will probably make the playoffs, but I just don't have any confidence in the front office to make the key strategic moves, which sometimes isn't just getting a star, but it's, you know, a really good free agent signing. 
it's a really good role player. It's, it's having a better uh, assistant coaching staff that they had previously with Luke Walton. And I mean, already we're seeing that they're pushing Jason Kidd onto the coaching staff because they really want him on the team. And moves like that just kind of don't instill a lot of confidence in me um, to, for them to become that clear-cut third-best team in the West. You know, man, I, I completely agree. And, and the reason I mentioned the Lakers is literally LeBron, right? That's the yeah. only reason they're a relevant yeah. organization right now. And, Absolutely. you know, past that, I mean, I want to give an honorable mention to the Jazz, the Thunder, um, the Clippers, if stuff go right for them. I mean, that's, what I'm saying is the third, seed in, the third spot in the West is wide open, you know? Yeah. And, all and you I need, think teams like the... Sorry, it, go ahead. No, uh, yeah, go ahead, man. Teams like what? Well, teams like the Clippers also have a really good opportunity to make a free agent signing or two, right? And, and, and if they make the right moves, which they're set up to do, then they can grab that spot. So yeah, I think you're right. It's totally up for grabs. There's several teams that can that can make a move to get in there. Um, but you know, it's it's yeah, it's not clear cut. You're right about that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anyways, we did go a little bit off topic from the playoffs, but that was still a fun discussion. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year, man. I'm really looking forward to free agency too. That'll be fun to talk about when we get there. Um, yeah, it will be. Anything stood out to stand out to you from the Portland Denver series? Um, I mean, I definitely think yeah, you were right I, about one thing that you said in the last podcast, which was the Blazers had no answer for Nikola Jokic, man. They really didn't. Yeah, and that's I mean, really what pushed this series to go to seven games instead of the six that, that I predicted was really because uh, Jokic was killing the Blazers, man. Like, they, they had no answer for him. Like, it wasn't like the Spurs where the Spurs were like, okay, Jokic will do stuff, but no one else will do anything. It was literally Jokic is eating, and then the other players would also get involved as well. Yeah, uh, I think he he had a fantastic series, and and he, uh, I mean, he showed that he really is a franchise player for that team. But other than Jokic, what stood out to me, two things, actually. One was Jamal Murray. Uh, I thought Jamal Murray actually played really well this series. He came up pretty big in a couple games. Um, obviously, they didn't win, but he uh, proved me wrong. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of his coming into the playoffs. Um, he's played pretty inconsistently throughout the season and he even had a couple inconsistent performances in the first round, but, uh, he did, a, he did a really good job this, this second round. Uh, so that really stood out to me. And then also what stood out to me was, although they lost, um, I was really impressed that the Blazers, or I'm sorry, the Nuggets came back and won. I think it was game four, which is the one after the four overtime game. The fact that they came back on the road after losing in four overtime and then won that game and then took control of the series after that was really impressive, especially from a young team. So that, that was one thing that really stood out to me from them. Yeah, man, the Nuggets were super impressive this entire series. The game four, like, I would have, you know, it, if I was actually a betting man and I didn't understand risk, I would have bet my life savings on the Blazers winning that game against the Nuggets, man, game four. Because, yeah. uh, you know, you're, that was the game that, you know, how are the Nuggets going to respond? Like, the Blazers, you know, they're back at home. So they just go home, they come back, they're ready to go. Nuggets are on the road. They're coming off a loss where their star player played so many minutes and he's, you know, not in the best of shape. Um, but clearly, he, uh, that's not even a concern for him because Jokic came and put up a hell of a performance in the game before. Yeah, and I'm, I remember you mentioning that you would put your life savings on it when we were watching the game, and I'm glad you didn't, but I, I totally agree. Like, that's, that's an easy bet to make, right? That's a really easy bet to make. Exactly. It kind of checks all the boxes and stuff. But credit to the Nuggets because they, you know, they came in, they played a really good game. Um, yeah. I mean, but one thing about Jamal Murray, though, I want to go back to that. Um, so, I mean, now I think we know, like, Jamal Murray is, like, a starting caliber point guard in the NBA, right? Like a, like a playoff starting caliber point guard. He can start on a, on a playoff team, right? We know that, right? Yeah. And I think that we've known that kind of this entire season because he's, he's had those performances where you're like, okay, yeah, this guy's a good player. But now it's like, is he ever going to take that next step where he's a consistent performer day in and day out in the playoffs? And I don't know if he'll ever take that step because to me, he's still such an inconsistent shooter, man. Like if you look at his stats from the series, he only shot 45% from the field and 34% from three-point range. 34% is like average, but you still want more from your point guard. And I think at times on defense, he keeps getting exposed. Like teams go at him as like, like, okay, this guy's a weak link on the defense and we're going to attack him, you know? And that's kind of, those are yeah. two things I really want him to improve. He needs to be a more consistent shooter and he also needs to uh, shore up his defense. 
Yeah, I think I think your concerns about him are totally fair and and to be honest, I don't I don't know if he's ever going to become that consistent player. Uh his shooting percentage was pretty low. I thought you know, it, it even even though he played well, it kind of still showed that there were games where he played really well and there's probably a couple games where he just didn't show up at all. And so if that can change over the course of 82 games and then another 10 and 15 games in the playoffs, then I'll be really, really sold on him. But yeah, I think we had this discussion earlier where him, uh, Gary Harris, um, even, you know, a guy like Torrey Craig to some extent, those are pretty good players for the nuggets. Those are good pieces. They're good role players, but I don't know if any one of them has really shown that they will be the next guy, right. That they will for sure be the number two alongside Jokic. Exactly, man. That that's the issue, right? You need someone who can who can be that second star. That's always the big thing, right? Like a lot of teams get that first star, but how are you going to get that second star? And yeah. uh, it's and, like a big motivation behind a lot of moves, like the Mavs getting Kristaps and stuff like that, right? You do what you can do to get those other stars. Yeah, I think if things proven over the last thirty to forty years, other than a couple outlier seasons, that you pretty much need two stars to win a championship. That's like pretty much standard. Exactly. And you kind of look at that's literally the difference in the series because Portland, they have legitimately two stars in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And if anyone doubted CJ McCollum, man, see came seven, <laughs> that that's when people saw, yeah. okay, this guy's for real. Yeah, he he killed it. I do I do have a question though about the Nuggets. Say sure. that Jamal Murray um plays really well next year and he shows that he can have some consistency and everyone else progresses forward as they as they should uh do you have confidence in mike malone and the staff to take the nuggets to the next level and be like a legitimate championship contender i don't know not saying that they'll win or they'll beat the warriors or whatever but is he the coach that can take them to the next step or do you think that a better coach could maybe unleash some of the potential like we've seen with the bucks and even the warriors a couple years ago where a coaching change took them from one step to the next. Are the Nuggets the next example of that? Or do you think Mike Malone is actually like a, a good enough coach to be able to realize their potential? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually. Um, you know, you see teams like the Bucks. Like, look, look at what the Bucks went to, though. Like, they went from Jason Kidd to... Um, uh, Mike Budenholzer. Mike Budenholzer. I don't know why I didn't come up with the name off the top of my head. But yeah, exactly. It's like a move like that. Like, Jason Kidd is not a good NBA head coach, you know? Like yeah. Mike Malone, he is a good coach. Like he has, like they, he hasn't played a great style of play. Uh, he was a good enough coach that he realized that, uh, you know, Yusuf Nurkic, um, he's he's stopping one of my really good players, Nikola Jokic, from developing. So we're gonna get rid of Nurkic, and that's when Jokic kind of broke out, right? So I think he's shown throughout like his tenure of the Nuggets that he is good at not only developing players but developing a style of play that's. Um, that's really conducive to success. Uh, and not only the offensive end, man, he has a lot of young players buying in and playing really good defense. Like the Nuggets, one of the top defensive teams uh, in the league this year. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of people didn't notice that. So that's kind of another thing that, um, that sort of stands out to me with Mike Malone. So I, I definitely think that uh, it's not really a coaching thing with the Nuggets. It's more of just like a personnel thing. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think, yeah, that's a totally fair analysis. He definitely is a better coach for the Nuggets than Kidd was for the Bucks or even Mark Jackson was for the Warriors. And and they really do have like a really solid style of play. It's very interesting. It's unique. I think it's a little different than the rest of the league, which is fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You hit it on the head. It's really a personnel thing. And it's a matter of now putting the right pieces around Jokic and whether or not what they have now is is the right pieces. Exactly. Um, it, I don't know if you realize, man, but the Nuggets were third in offensive rating and 10th in defensive rating this season. Like, that's pretty good. That, that's wow. a really solid that's, I mean, yeah, top 10 defensive team. And Jokic is not a great defender. He's not a great defender. So Exactly. They to, did a good job get... of adjusting, right? Like, Mike Malone adjusted to Damian Lillard just blowing by Jokic and saying, okay, you know what, Jokic? Don't come up as far, and we'll give Lillard that long three and see if he can consistently make it. And Lillard didn't consistently make it, right? And it took CJ yeah. McCollum being that second star to beat Denver. And that's kind of a personnel issue, right? Because Denver, they lost when no one else could make shots. And unfortunately, in Game 7, no one else could make shots other than Jokic. So that's what it comes down yeah. to, is they need that second star. And that's like, 
it does it has nothing to do with the coaching staff is what i'm trying to say right it has everything to yeah. do with like what your personnel are and some teams like like the nuggets i don't think they'll ever get that second star because it's just really hard to convince people to come play in denver now on the other yeah, hand de- definitely not through free agency exactly and then now on the other hand with the blazers do you think the blazers can ever get like a third star like i know nurkic is turning into a really good complimentary like like borderline kind of star player for that team, but do you think they'll ever get a legitimate third superstar and they'll turn into like the next, you know, dynasty? Because I, because that's all they really need. They need a third guy. Like if they get Jimmy Butler, like oh, they're yeah. on the way, man. You know, I mean, I don't think they have the cap space. I, I'm saying this without any of the cap space in mind, but just in general, sure, yeah, um, yeah. In general, you're right. I think if, if they really are one star away from being a championship team, but I just unfortunately, and I wish this, this wasn't the case, but unfortunately, I don't think they ever will. I just don't think free agents are going to choose Portland over um, other more, uh, you know, enticing cities. Uh, I just think that's really what it comes down to when superstars make those decisions. I think Paul George was an exception to the rule. And even then he had one year kind of a practice run with the Thunder to make that decision. So um, I, I don't feel very confident that Portland will ever get a star. But what I do think they can do, similar to Paul George, is if they can trade for one. Uh, if they can trade for one and they can show someone that it works with them and Damon CJ, uh, then they have a chance of retaining a star. But I don't know if they can just pitch a free agent to sign a max deal in Portland. I, I think that's um, a bit of a stretch just from uh, various examples of superstars leaving small markets and going to bigger markets and i mean portland's a pretty small market yeah i mean it's really unfortunate man but i think it's interesting discussion to be had about you know what do teams have to do to take that next step uh, to kind of catch up to the warriors and the rockets right now in the west yeah i think portland will be an interesting team to watch over the next off season or two because i mean with this success this is the most success they've had in, in 20 years right this is the most success they've had with damien do they take this team and really trust it and say, okay, we're going to run it back? Or do they say, all right, we know that we can make it to the conference finals. Now what changes do we need to make to, to become a championship team? Um, so do they get rid of some of those contracts? Do they re- get rid of some of those guys in hopes of luring a star or trading for a star? Or do they kind of just stick with this team and hope that they you know, get lucky or they just have a really, really good run? Yeah, and I don't know what the right decision is. I don't know what the right decision is for them. And looking on Spot Rack right now, uh, inexplicably, for some reason, Evan Turner is counting eighteen million dollars towards the cap, and Myers Leonard and Maurice Harkless are another total of twenty-two million dollars against the cap. Jeez, so, Myers, how much is Myers Leonard getting paid? He's making that's eleven insane. million dollars a year, bro. Jeez, that's ins- why is he getting paid so much? I don't understand that. Dude, you know they once started a. Um, they once started like a GoFundMe saying buy out Mar- Myers Leonard's contract. <laughs> I, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but those are some bad contracts, man. I think Portland has no one but themselves to blame for that. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. That's, that's terrible, but, I mean, hopefully they can find a way out of it, or I don't know. I don't know what they can really do about that. Yeah, but anyways, man, the Bucks and the Celtics. That one, you know, I actually wasn't surprised. Like, I think once the Bucks are taking control of the series, I kind of realized the Celtics are just, they're just showing that they're the team that was, you know, the Celtics from the regular season. They're not on the same level as the Bucks this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I was fully surprised, but a part of me still was because I just, I expected a better performance from Kyrie. I expected a better performance from Tatum. I thought Horford did about as well as he could have. Um, Jalen Brown was playing decently and honestly I expected a better uh, performance from Brad Stevens and the coaching staff I thought they made zero adjustments offensively Um, their offense was just atrocious the entire time and defensively they were like in and out you know they'd play really good for a quarter or they played really good for a half and then I think maybe it was like three or four games in a row the Bucks just exploded in the third quarter um, and I mean, to me, that shows that Mike Bunholzer and the Bucks made some adjustments and the Celtics didn't. And so I was just kind of surprised that some of the big players on the Celtics and the, you know, Brad Stevens himself 
didn't really do anything. And, you know, the Bucks are a better team. I think um, I knew that going in and I chose the Bucks to win, but I was just surprised at how easy it was for them and how easily the, the Celtics just kind of laid down. You know yeah, what I mean? Man. I mean, the Bucks are going to get a ton of rest coming into the Eastern Conference Finals, first of all. Uh, second of all, Giannis, uh, incredible like usual. Um, the yeah. Bucks got contributions from like different people. Chris Middleton, um, he played really well. I'm not sure exactly what his numbers were, but um, he he had a few rough games. But I think overall, he really stepped up and was that second score that they needed. Yeah, um, I mean, he he shot 47 percent from three during the series. 20 points, six rebounds, five assists. That's decent. That's exactly, very that's yeah. very good. Exactly, man. 95 percent from uh, free throw range too. He's he's shooting about four a game and making almost all of them. So that's like r- ridiculously good. Um, 8.8 plus minus. Um, on the other hand, Jason yeah. Tatum was a minus seven for the series and shot like 36% from the field. So I think that's kind of where the series, um, the series hinged. Yeah. I thought the Celtics players just didn't show up. And I, we talked about this in the last podcast, the Celtics were the team with the depth, right? And I, I know Tamim was talking about this. They were the team that had multiple scoring options in case Kyrie doesn't have it or in case Tatum doesn't have it. They have multiple scoring options, and all of those guys, for the most part, just didn't show up. Yeah, they I mean, just totally didn't show my up. My big thing was who? Who are your multiple scoring options? You have Kyrie, you have, and then no one else on that team has been consistent the whole year. Like that's that was yeah. my whole argument, right? Is that like okay, yeah, you expect these guys to all of a sudden become consistent? Like no, dude, that's not how it works. Like yeah, they're gonna all look like superstars against the Pacers. The Pacers aren't that good of a team without their best player. You know, they lost like one of their best defenders and they lost their best offensive player. Like they're not someone that you should be comparing. You're like, you know, you shouldn't be like, oh, like this team is good because they did this against the Pacers. Like, no, man, like these players are who they are the whole season. I'm a big believer in like the regular season predicting how you're going to do in the playoffs for the most part. And I think like a lot Uh, of those players just, they weren't very good. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, and I was one of these people, but a lot of people were still fooled by the paper talent, right? On paper, they just had a ton of talent. And and it fooled a lot of us because, you know, I, I was just expecting Gordon Hayward to be Gordon Hayward. I was expecting Kyrie Irving to be Kyrie Irving. And, um, you know, Kyrie Irving having the performance that he did wasn't fully, you know, an indication of how he played during the regular season. But basically everyone else, yeah, you're totally right. They just were inconsistent. They had, you know, in this series, they had a good quarter or a good two quarters, and then they would drop off dramatically. And that's kind of how their season went too, where they would have a good stretch of 10 games, and then they would be terrible for 10 games. So, um, yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head from the very beginning that this just wasn't a team that showed any sort of consistency that you could trust in the playoffs at any point in the season. Exactly. But where do you think they go from here, man, the Celtics? Because now it's really like, do you think Kyrie will stay, first of all? And then if he stays or if he goes, what do they do? Because I think if he stays, you have to try to trade for a second star. But I think it's more likely he leaves after this. Yeah, I think I I agree. I think it's likely that he leaves. And um, I I don't know where he goes, but I, I mean, I don't know. I think Kyrie, hopefully, for his own sake, is smart enough to realize that he isn't fit to be a leader of a team and he tried it for two seasons and this playoffs is uh, a very very good example you don't need you don't need several playoff failures to see that you're not fit to be a leader i think um and this was a good example for him to know that <clears throat> excuse me um so if he leaves which i think is likely i i really don't know what they're going to do uh, they, they have stick to what players, they, have, they have good pieces they, 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 really have, they can have to stick, stick to, to what they, they have. have. Yeah, but is that enough to compete with the Bucks in the East? And uh, you know, assuming Kawhi stays in Toronto and the Raptors, you know, are still able to be a top two team, I don't think they can really compete in the East anymore because Oladipo is going to be back, and if he's healthy, hopefully, the Pacers were a good team. The Pacers were a better team than the Celtics all season. Uh, yeah, until I agree. Oladipo, Oladipo got the Pacers were a better team than the Celtics. Um, I mean, yeah, so, that's I mean, the only they thing, had, right? Like where are they going to stack? And they have up the, the Sixers. If the Sixers, if the Sixers make the right moves or, and do whatever they need to do, and B is still a really good player, if they can keep Butler or they can keep Simmons or, or I'm sorry, Harris. The Sixers are still going to be in the mix. So I, I think without Kyrie, and if they don't have another superstar, unless Tatum takes an enormous leap, which he took a step back this season, so he has to take a really really big leap 
to become that guy. I, I, I don't really know what they do if they want to be a contender in, in the East. Yeah, I think it's difficult, man, because first of all, they're already behind the Bucks. Um, you know, while I do think the gap between them, the Sixers, and the Raptors is a lot closer than, than people would think it is after Kyrie leaves, um, I think at the same time, it's still really tough to see them, you know, winning the East consistently because they, first of all, you know, the Bucks are ahead of them. And then you have to battle with the Sixers and the Raptors, who are also like, you know, two pretty good teams. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of the big thing, right? Uh, I, I want to move to the Sixers and the Raptors series, though, because that one was also pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But do you have any closing was, thoughts man. on the uh, Celtics and Bucks? Uh, just just uh, more praise to Giannis, man. I think he, uh, he has shown that he's deserving of the MVP and, and he had an outstanding season and he's pretty much unstoppable and he showed that. Exactly, man. And speaking of unstoppable, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. a game winner, man. Game seven. I know. It took a little bit what of a, a friendly roll at the rim, man. You know, I wish, you know, when I'm playing at 24, bro, I want those kind of rolls too. Where's that? Been? Yeah, man, that's... <laughs> You just you know it seems that we can never get as lucky as NBA players with roles like that. I've never been able to get that shooter's touch role, but I guess that's why he's Kawhi Leonard, right? Exactly, man. Um, but I but I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was the 76ers. First of all, are a poorly constructed team. Like, but I think it speaks to how you know bad the Raptors. Like, I don't the Raptors. Like, I thought they were going to win the East, but I'm completely off of that. Um, they are not going to win the East. And it's because Kawhi Leonard is their only consistent like offensive threat. Like no one else on their team is consistently going to score. So even if they're really good defensively, they're not even be able to pull away from the team. And that's what the 76ers kind of exploited. Because even though the 76ers have their own major issues, which which we'll get into, they keep they kept it close because they have four guys who can legitimately or three guys who can legitimately score the ball, right? And that's kind of Toronto couldn't pull away because they don't have those scorers. So the 76ers kept it close, and that's kind of why I went to seven game. Yeah, and I think we, offline again, we touched on this the other day, where Kawhi Leonard is clearly the number one, the best player of the series, but the Sixers have the second, the third, and the fourth best players. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was so many times this entire series where the Raptors would go on a run, they'd score 10, 12 points, they'd jump out to a lead, and then either Kawhi sits or Kyle Lowry starts, you know, getting the ball in his hands or, or whatever happens. And then the Celtics, or I'm sorry, the Sixers just kind of climb back. And that's exactly what happened in game seven. Uh, that's probably exactly, that's exactly why I thought game six even happened the way it did is because the Raptors, like you said, they just don't have a consistent scoring option. Um, and yeah, no matter how good defense you play, you're totally right. It, it doesn't matter if you can't pull away and the team that they're going to be facing next is almost perfectly constructed, right? I mean, they played the Magic, who are a decent team, but you know they're not—they're nothing to really compete against. And then um, the Sixers are just a poorly constructed team that that didn't really ever fit properly and could never really get the right touches. I thought for their guys, and still they took it to seven games, and still they only lost by two points on a crazy shot. And so when you go up against Giannis and Middleton and Bledsoe and all these guys in the Bucks who are perfectly in sync with each other, yeah, that's 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 a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean the only thing is, is that like you know Giannis and Kawhi are the main threats on their team, and there's and but the pro- the difference is that the Bucks like they manufacture shots for other guys. The Raptors, the other guys are kind of taking themselves away from shots. Like Gasol is wide open, but he still passes the ball. Siakam is wide open, and he doesn't even like bother to be like, oh, the other team's ignoring me. Maybe I should do something. He just kind of keeps trying to set a screen for someone else. So the whole issue with the Raptors is that they just lack guys who are going to consistently score, and then even their bench is like doing nothing. And that's where really I think the series against the Bucks hinges for me is that the Bucks bench is actually getting stronger with Malcolm Brogdon coming back. The Raptors still don't have OG Ananobi, and really they can only play six players a game. So yeah. I think that's kind of checkmate for the Raptors, in my opinion. And even those six players, I mean, outside of Kawhi, again, how many of those six players have shown to be able to consistently score? I mean, like you said, Gasol is wide open on like three, four threes a game, and he just passes them up. 
Kyle Lowry is playing as inconsistent as he ever has been in the playoffs. Um, Siakam's shot has looked shaky, and he's been injured, but he's looked a little shaky offensively. So, yeah, I think I think if the Raptors step up, which was their problem in, in this series against the Sixers, where they have the talent and they have the system and they have the chemistry and all that, but it was just a matter of guys who are supposed to score not scoring, right? I mean, they were missing open shots in some of those games. They were not taking open shots in some of those games. So if they can find a way to actually convert on those shots and actually play to how they should be playing, I think the series will actually be a little bit more competitive. Um, and, and, and it will be fairly close for, you know, six games maybe, but um, it's, yeah, there's just, there's not a lot of confidence to go off of the Sixers series that, you know, Marcus and Kyle Lowry and Siakam are going to support Kawhi like they should. Yeah, man. I, I think the Bucks are going to win this one. I think you agree as well, right? Yeah, I think the Bucks are going to win. But I will say, I think that the Raptors are going to actually, the way the Bucks play defense is they kind of want you to take mid range shots, right? They're, they're happy with you taking mid range shots. And yeah, so I think Kawhi. Corner threes, so I definitely think the Raptors can exploit that. I agree. Yeah, so the Raptors can exploit that, and I think they can make it more competitive than you know me or you would ex- ex- uh, expect based on the second round series. But you know, with that being said, ultimately you're not going to win a series if you don't have any support for your star player. Exactly, man. So would you say that the Bucks will win in seven games or six or less? Uh, this say? is six and a half games. This is, this is a tough. tough. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one, man. I think I think I'll probably still go uh, seven games. I'm gonna go seven games. Okay, I'll I'll say six games. I think the, I think the Bucks can wrap this one up in uh, six. Um, Tamim said the Raptors are gonna win in seven. So bold take. Wow, he's sticking with the Raptors. Yeah, that's actually okay. interesting. I think he w- he was a Celtics guy and then he switched the Raptors. I so he like... just must really not believe in the Bucks. Yeah, which is... I don't know, man. We we, must, we got to talk about him. Uh, talk about it with him next podcast, man. You know? What's, yeah, I don't why, know. Why I don't know the what the Bucks. Need, what do the Bucks need to show him that is going to make him believe? I don't know. I mean, probably nothing, man. They're a top three team in uh, offensive and defensive efficiency. The, uh, so yeah. I don't know. There's probably nothing they can do. <laughs> yeah what have they not already done that he doesn't he exactly. doesn't need to see you know yeah. and that's the thing man i think you know none of us really picked the bucks to win the east uh when we did the very original like podcast with all the contenders and stuff and you know with all that i think it just we slept on the bucks dude and that's the other big thing i'm taking away from playoffs in general um i've always had this theory but it's really like the team that's a higher seed will more likely win because you have an 82 game sample size to kind of see you know and it's only in cases yeah. of injuries, like the, or just like midseason trades. Like the Rockets had a lot of injuries. The Cavs last year, like you know, they had LeBron, but there were a lot of midseason trades and stuff. And then the Celtics had were, were an injured team. So I think um, it's only really things like injuries and trades that affect like a team seeding uh, relative to the other other teams. Other than that, like the higher seeded team is going to win, like in the second. Yeah, round. and I and I think I think also. In addition to that, that's all correct. I agree with that. Um, I think in addition to that, we've kind of gotten used to in the Eastern Conference, especially uh, with you know LeBron and his team not necessarily being the top seed and the Raptors or the Celtics being a higher seed, but them still losing to LeBron. And so I feel like maybe we kind of just gotten a little used to that where the top seed wasn't really the best team. And so now that you know, the Bucks actually were the best team. People haven't really caught on. At least I haven't, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's that's totally right. That's usually the top seed is going to win. Exactly, and you have yeah. a great sample size to go off of. Especially when there was like, you know, the Celtics were being inconsistent. I think that was kind of like, okay, that's actually how they are as a team, though. Because they didn't really have any injuries or, or trade stuff. The Raptors and Sixers are more kind of unknown because the Raptors had a lot of games where they benched Kawhi. And they would arguably, they would have been... Um, or they were they rested Kawhi to be more accurate, but arguably they would have been ahead of the Bucks had they not rested Kawhi for so many games. And the 76ers are you know a completely different team after the trade deadline and after the Jimmy Butler trade. So th- that was kind of the thing with the East. It was pretty. It seemed wide open. Yeah, yeah, you got it. But anyways, I mean that kind of wraps it up. Uh, we're both <clears throat> taking the Bucks, but you're going to take him in seven. I'll take him in six. Um, so next, the Warriors and the Trailblazers. 
Um, you know, obviously, not really the conference finals. That was an, that was the previous round against the Rockets. But sure, um, yeah. What are you looking forward to in the series, man? I think I still it will be fun. You know, Damian Lillard, uh, one last hurrah in uh, Oakland. Um, it, it'll be fun. I think it'll be a good time, especially with Kevin Durant being yeah. injured. You know, that could be a that could be something that helps the Blazers. Exactly. I think I think Kevin Durant being out for Game One and, and most likely Game Two gives the Blazers uh, a chance to steal a game in Oracle, and and I think it's totally possible. I, I'm not saying it will happen, but I think it's possible if Dame and CJ both have a really good performance. Um, so I'm I'm really just looking forward to the the two backcourts facing up against each other. Um, you know, CJ and Dame, obviously really just electric players. And then Steph and clay, you know, we know all about them already. So, um, seeing those two, those two pairs of guys kind of go up against each other is, is probably what I'm most excited for. Um, but with that being said, I, I hope for Portland's sake that they can get a healthy Rodney hood and a somewhat healthy Ennis Cantor. Because if those two guys are uh, out or are just not able to play up to the level that they played in the second round, then it's going to be a very, very quick series. Yeah, man. I'm rooting for a lot more Zach Collins to be played for the Blazers, man. I mean, you know, you have nothing to lose, really. And Collins is their future. Uh, like, he's a future rotation big man for them. Like, he's a guy that could possibly shoot threes. Um, I see you're a big fan of his on Twitter. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude, really I'm a big fan of Zach Collins because he's someone who can do multiple things, right? He fits the modern NBA. He's someone who can shoot, shown he can knock down threes. Or at least he isn't afraid to take them. I don't know if he can really knock them down yet. He's young. He's only 21. Uh, he used to yeah. be a lottery pick. He's athletic. He can block shots. Um, he's shown that he can play defense on the perimeter and in the post. Like, he's one of those guys that has potential to really be something, you know? He's someone who can really help out the team. Like having a rotation big man like that is not something a lot of teams can say they have, and he could probably slot in at their four for them as well. So that'd be kind of a big, big move if uh, he plays well this series, especially he started playing really well in the end of the Denver series. So yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't I super, I wasn't super high on him, but I thought, especially at the end of the series, he he proved me wrong there, and I think this is a good chance for him uh, to go up against a guy like Kevon Looney or Andrew Bogut for him to kind of outperform either of those two guys, I think he can do it. Like you said, um, he can, he can do a lot. He can take threes. He can bring one of those two guys out to the, to the perimeter and, and maybe allow Portland to penetrate the defense a little bit better. So yeah, I'm, I'm now that you say it, I'm looking forward to how he's going to play against um, the, uh, the front quarter of the Warriors. Exactly, man. And not only that, it's kind of like a lit litmus test for the entire Portland team, right? Because they're going to, probably the first two games, there's going to be no Kevin Durant for the Warriors. So how is Portland going to stack up against this team, right? Because they're one of the teams that are in the running to be the third best team in the West next year. So are they going to be able to compete with the Warriors? Or is it just like, all right, the Warriors are just way better than us and we need a third star? That's kind of something I'm looking yeah. forward to. Yeah, and I, yeah, you're right. This is a really good test for them to to kind of determine that. Um, and you know, even with that being said, I, I think, I think, uh, I think still the Warriors are going to play really well without Kevin Durant. I thought they played pretty well, uh, last game and, uh, you know, their, their bench guys are going to have a little bit of a boost of confidence. Uh, Kevon Looney, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, those guys played really well. Um, so, you know, Kevin Durant is a great player and he's having a fantastic playoffs, but there's something about um, this Warriors team now as, you know, for the next two games, it'll be interesting to see kind of seven or eight guys on each side go up against each other. And we're going to get a chance to see role players matched up against role players and, you know, Dame against Steph and CJ against Clay. So it'll be kind of interesting to, to have it be a little slightly uh, more level and not just a complete mismatch where, Nobody can guard Kevin Durant. He's just going to rise up and, and score 45 points with ease, you know? Exactly, man. That's what, that's what I think as well. I think it'll be fun to see like how the Warriors do without Kevin Durant against the Trailblazers. Um, I mean, super performance in Game 6 against the Rockets without Durant, obviously. That's kind of like, a, like, that's excellent, you know? No Kevin Durant. A game that like no one really thought the Warriors would win. The, the Rockets were favored by 7 points. And the Warriors took it. So I think I think the Warriors are getting rolling now. Um, I expect them to sweep the Blazers, to be honest. Really? Um, you expect a sweep? Not even one game by the Blazers? 
Uh, I, I mean, I can see like a sleepwalk game where the Warriors just kind of sleepwalk. Like the last game to play, like it's 2-2 in the season series, by the way, in the regular season. Um, and the last game the Warriors played against the Blazers, uh, they were kind of sleepwalking and the Blazers beat them uh, in the Moda Center. So, I mean, I can see the, the Blazers winning like a sleepwalk game against the Warriors the same way the Clippers won. Like the Warriors were really sleepwalking through that series and the Clippers took two off of them. So I can see yeah. the Blazers getting one, but I feel like at this point the Warriors are just too engaged. Like now they're now they're hitting the role. Like the alarm has gone off and and they're they're awake and they're ready to play. You know, I don't think there's yeah any more, yeah. Like, now now they're time. really locked in and and they're ready to go. That's that's absolutely right. Exactly. I'm interested to see how how Steph is going to play because obviously with Kevin Durant over the first ten or eleven games or however many they were, he was probably having his worst playoffs of the last like five, six years of his career, basically. Um, and, you know, he had a good second half against uh, the Rockets in game six, but as good as he was in the second half, he was atrocious in the first half. Um, and, you know, 33 points is really good, but like 10 or 11 of those were free throws. So I'm interested to see how he's going to play against Dame. I think Dame has improved his defense and has played pretty well this playoffs. Um, so I don't know how Portland is going to defend Steph and how they're going to deal with Clay and Draymond, but I'm interested to see how Steph is going to play over these next two games without Kevin Durant. And if he's going to use game six as a confidence booster and he's just going to go nuclear MVP level Steph, or is he still going to struggle? And uh, I mean, so far the playoffs have shown that he's struggling. And so I don't know if I have enough to go off of to think that he won't, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think at the same time, though, the Clippers and the Rockets both kind of had the personnel that they can attack Steph on both ends of the floor. I'm not sure if the Blazers have that because they kind of have, like, a lack of shooting from the guys outside of Lillard and McCollum. Uh, so that's kind of a big factor, right? Like, other than Seth Curry, I don't know who else on that team can really shoot it. Like, Rodney Hood. So Rodney Hood, Seth Curry, and then McCollum, Lillard. Other than those four guys, I don't really know, like, who else really threatens the Warriors with shooting. So it kind of becomes, like, a matter of the personnel that the Blazers have. They're not really going to be able to get those switches for Steph like the Rockets are hunting. And at the same time, when Steph is on offense, I don't know if the Blazers have the guys who can really lock down on that side of the floor and stop the Warriors from doing what they're going to do. I just think no one is... Like, the Blazers can't really emulate what the Rockets did, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the personnel of the Rockets was perfect for stopping Steph. And even the Clippers, to some extent. They, they did a pretty good job of it. Um, but yeah, the... The Blazers, overall, across the board, defensively, don't have a lot to stop uh, the Warriors' strength. So, yeah, I think I think you got that right. Exactly, That's man. Uh, if you look at Steph's numbers against the Blazers in the regular season, he honestly wasn't that good. He was minus one in the in plus minus. Uh, shot forty one percent from the field, thirty five from three point range. So you know your your. Uh, your analysis holds some credence for sure, man. I mean, Steph hasn't been that great against the Blazers. And judging by how he's been in the playoffs, it could be um, a little worse for him. At the same time, he did average almost 29 points, uh, five re- almost six assists, and almost six rebounds. So all that being said, he still was you know, pretty good. Yeah, he's so. still pretty impactful. And, and, and even re- the thing about Steph is even when he's playing poorly, he seems to still find a way to positively impact his team by doing other things um and i feel like the numbers generally support that maybe not against the blazers specifically but across the board in the regular season and in the playoffs even when he's struggling he seems to have positive impact for his team so i yeah i have no doubt that that they'll play really well as a team it'll just be interesting to see how how he shows up with you know yeah man so i mean for this series do you think it's going to be a sweep or not a sweep uh, I, I, just because KD is gone and, you know, I don't know how he's going to come back when he's injured. And like you said, there may be a sleepwalk game or there may be a game where Dame just goes off. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say that the Warriors win in five. Sure. I just think Blazers can take one. I think it's very likely, not likely, but I just think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's actually, I think it's likely the Blazers take at least one game or not at least, but they'll take, I think they can take one. It's more likely than they get swept. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go under yeah. just because I think the Warriors my assumption is the Warriors are just going to keep humming uh, they're obviously a better team than the Blazers and the Blazers are banged up man like Rodney Hood's hurt Cam's yeah. hurt um, I don't really know if they have the, the horses anymore to keep up with the Warriors 
So yeah, that's totally fair. I think that's that's honestly that's their biggest concern is, is just having guys who can play uh, exactly, because man. they're guys that they've relied on are are hurt. Exactly, man. Uh, also, I just wanted to give a little update on the standings of our picks. So um, right now, Tamim's kind of bringing up the rear at a, at four and six. So kind of rough for him. <laughs> uh, and then me and you are kind of battling it out. I'm at six and four, and you're seven and three. And since, nice, we're, since we're different on both these series, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, uh, this be this will be this will be really good. I'm still I'm still bummed out that I uh, that I went Raptors in what was it under five point five. I oh, still can't believe I oh, did no, that. No, no. We, we both picked... Uh, we, actually, me, you, and Tam all picked the Raptors to win in, a, in, uh, in five games against the Sixers. In five, yeah. And I, and I wanted to pick over 5.5, but I just... I don't know why I didn't. So peer pressure, I'm man. I'm bummed out about that. Guess. I, yeah, it was peer pressure. It totally was. It totally was. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it, this should be a really interesting conference finals. And honestly, the playoffs in general have been really competitive and and uh as exciting as they've been in years exactly man this is definitely be the more most entertaining years of the playoffs like in a while for sure because the east you know there were some legitimate like like the series are pretty good you know um and um in the west like the houston warrior series was like super everyone's looking forward to that so it was fun it was fun yeah man it's been it's been good hopefully it continues on in this uh in this round and into the finals yeah, man, for sure. So I'll talk to you before the conference or before the NBA finals then. But uh, thanks for coming on today and talking to me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on as always. And, and looking forward to uh, some, some more really good basketball. Yep. Take it easy.